0: Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Armageddon. I mean, that's a that is one heck of a thing to say. And Joe Biden said it at a fundraiser for the Senate Democrats. You don't understand how serious the situation with Vladimir Putin is in Ukraine. He could absolutely go uh, nuclear. We have not been in this position uh, since the Cuban missile crisis. It could be Armageddon. Good Lord. That is not the way you engage. To note what is happening in ukraine is smart to note what is going on with putin and the possibilities the nation should discuss like this just another example just another example of the unseriousness of the administration tony katz tony katz today what's going on everybody 833, got Tony. That's the number, 833-468-8669. Also, a lot of economic news out there with the unemployment rate down, but jobless, uh, 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 number of jobs didn't hit the expectations. So, what do we take from it? Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, is going to be with us uh, to break it down. I also have uh, the latest on Joe Biden and his new glorious Pitch perfect for timing, position on weed. One, two,
1: three, four, five, six, seven, eight. A
2: bag of weed, a bag of weed. Or everything
1: is better with a bag because everything is better with a bag of
0: weed. We're gonna start, you know, pardons and uh, low-level possession. Hey, that's that's not the problem. I I, I think that you're gonna find most people ag- agree with you. I think in a very bipartisan way. We're going to say most people agree with you because we don't need to be engaging a crowding of jails with people with low-level possession. Of course, no one ever asks, is, is that what's crowding jails? Low-level possession? I don't actually believe the data supports that. Even still, we don't need to have anybody in jail on low-level possession. A guy smoking a joint in his living room, not a guy I need in jail. The question is, how do we feel about people smoking joints in their living room? Which, of course, is the legalization conversation. Some states have legalized, of course. We know this in Colorado and other places. How is it actually working out for them? Why is that, like, a hard thing for people to to want to get an answer to? Well, we should just legalize marijuana so we can tax it. Good Lord. That is an ignorant argument. Ignorant argument! Not as, ign- yeah, because the idea of doing something just because you can tax it, that's, a, that's, a, that's an ignorant argument. But it is not as ignorant as the labor secretary, Marty Walsh, talking about oil prices, which of course have gone up. And he's on CNN, uh, hands on 10N2, because th- this is
2: stunning. Well, certainly when it comes to energy and what we're dealing with gas, uh, I mean, that certainly was not created by this administration. Uh, we're dealing with a war in Ukraine uh, that you guys report upon every day, which is very sad and fortunate. You're talking about decisions OPEC has made, uh, which is very dis- disappointing as well.
0: Nothing about gas prices going up is the fault of the administration. It's Putin's war. And, and you, you think I'm making this up? Did you not hear cringe Jean-Pierre?
3: Uh, uh, On this subject? You said the president was responsible for gas prices coming down. Is the president responsible for gas prices going
1: up? So... It's a lot more nuance than that. Right. Um, Peter, you know, this uh, there have been global challenges that we have all have de- dealt with when I say all meaning other countries as well have dealt with since the pandemic. There's been pandemic and there's been uh, Putin's war and Putin's war uh, has uh, increased gas prices at the pump.
0: Putin's war, Putin price hike. The minute gas prices go back up, this is where they are. Putin price hike. Meanwhile, back to Marty Walsh, the labor secretary. You're talking about decisions OPEC OPEC has made, uh,
2: which is very dis- disappointing as well. And I think what it does is right, for too long, America has been too dependent on foreign foreign energy. And I think that the, the president has very made it very clear in the Inflation Reduction Act to be less dependent on foreign foreign energy supplies, whether it's oil or, or gas, as we move forward here. We need to continue to do that. We're seeing more, producti- more production to, to, to deal with the issue immediately. We're seeing uh, our refineries ramping up more production here in the United States of America to bring the cost down down for American people at the gas pump uh, for, right. for 13 straight weeks. We saw a reduction because of President Biden's policies and decisions. We saw gas prices coming down. Uh, you clearly OPEC caught caught the administration by surprise uh, in the decision they made yesterday. So we're readjusting now to, to deal with what they with the decision that they've made.
0: So when gas prices go down, it's because of the genius of the administration. When gas prices go up, it's because of OPEC and Putin's uh, war. This is what they're trying to sell you four weeks out from a midterm election. They're trying to sell this to you. The question is, are you buying? No, you're not buying? Of course not. With this inflation, who can buy anything? Speaking of the inflation, what do these latest jobs numbers tell us? I will have that breakdown for you coming up in just moments. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. The Dow is down 474. The NASDAQ is down 337. Maybe it's that jobs report. Sure, unemployment rate down to 3.5%. The payrolls are up 263,000, but it was supposed to be 275,000. Is this. A rational response, or is this just the market being the market? Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. You take a look at this, the unemployment rate down, the payrolls not hitting the Dow Jones estimates. What's your take?
3: My, my take is that this is a very boring report. Tony, that there's nothing really noticeable about it, and that's what spooked Wall Street. Wall Street is a drug addict, Tony. They like cheap money. They want the Fed to cut rates, and they were hoping that there'd be some news in here that says the Fed will cut rates, you know, a spike in unemployment, people not being hired. Well, that's not what happened. What happened, Tony, is this report is very boring, and that tells the market that the Fed is going to stay on course to tighten money, they're going to keep raising rates, and the drug addict is having withdrawal symptoms.
0: So when we talk about uh, the, the drug addict having withdrawal symptoms, which is always a, a fun way uh, to put it, uh, one could look at this and say you missed on the expectations of, of labor force by about 12,000, 13,000, maybe 14,000 people. Anecdotally, we hear about Fortune 500 companies that are rescinding job offers or engaging in job freezes. Do we still feel that this is, a as the administration likes to to put it, a strong labor market, meaning that jobs are plentiful and out there, even though there aren't people filling them or have the jobs become more scarce and people aren't filling them.
3: Tony, there's a lot to that question, and the, the the White House is wrong on this. Remember, we should be recovering from the pandemic. We should have about a million jobs more than we have now, based on the pandemic trajectory. But we're not recovering from that, Tony. We're not adding the the volume of jobs that we should be. We're we're now in recession mode. Jobs are contracting. There's this upward pressure to add jobs out of the pandemic. There's this downward pressure because the recession is here, and that's what the market is nervous about. They think, oh, my gosh, it actually is a recession.
0: Talking to you, Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. But it is actually a recession. How is how is anybody shocked or surprised by this idea it is a recession? Are, are we somehow
3: saying it's not? The market is, Tony. The market's delusional. Remember, it's a drug addict. They want this cheap money. And even though Jerome Powell keeps saying, no cheap money, no cheap money, we're going to kill inflation, he keeps saying that. It's as if they don't listen to him. Wall Street is not listening to him when he says, we are focused on inflation. And every time something comes out to reinforce his behavior, they get nervous and the market drops. So,
0: when we talk about getting nervous, we talk about specifically Jerome Powell, chairman of the Federal Reserve. He has stated uh, a federal funds rate of 4.6%. We're right now at 3 to uh, 3.25%. That will... So we have another percent and a half really to go of increased interest rates. I've had people whisper in my ear that that's actually not what they're going to do. They're not going to go that far because they don't actually feel that they need to. You're saying... Oh, they're going to go that far, and only the people on Wall Street haven't figured this out yet.
3: See, Tony, you're listening to the drug addicts. The drug addicts say, no, 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 they're not going to go that high. They're not going to go that high. And They have a lot of
0: different kinds of friends. You know what I mean? (laughs) I I, I hang in a lot of corners.
3: Well, let me tell you, those particular friends should be aware that the the Fed is doing what they said. They were late to the game. We all know that. But now they're on course. And all these people are saying, no, 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 they're not really going to do it. And Jerome Powell keeps saying, yes, we are. And they say, no, you're not. He says, yes, we are. And guess what? He is. And they don't like it.
0: So what? When you take a look at this report, you are not driven in any type direction. You're like, "All right, it is what it is. What it is. It was. was uh, then we missed a little bit of expectation. The unemployment number is down, but that doesn't mean anything because people left the workforce uh, altogether. All, all right, on, on to the next. It's as bad as we thought it was.
3: Yes, exactly, Tony. That's exactly what this says. It says it's bad. And and the Fed knows it's bad and the Fed's gonna keep doing what they're doing. It's it's again, the addict is finally waking up that they're not gonna they're not gonna get their fix. And they get nervous every time there's more information that says, No, you're not getting your fix of cheap money.
0: So talk to me, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, about, and and we've discussed it before, where we think we're going uh, with this economy, with this inflation, when it comes to uh, gas prices, and maybe how it's going to affect other things. Uh, We talked about how OPEC is going to reduce by 2 million barrels a day. We have seen now the United States respond by still questioning whether they're going to allow any level of offshore uh, drilling. We discuss the idea that while we could discuss energy security as I discuss it, it's still an open market. Uh, The the, the oil goes into that open market, so it's not like the United States is going to get it all. You're just going to be able to have more energy in the market, and therefore reduce prices that simple bit of economics seems lost on the administration but reality sometimes is is a pretty great motivator as you're discussing the druggies waking up on wall street when do the druggies wake up at 1600 pennsylvania avenue
3: I don't think they will, Tony. I don't think they will, because even I believe there are people in this administration that know what's going on. But it's a political calculus, not an economic calculus. They are simply playing the politics. They know what's going on, but they're ignoring it. And they're trying to buy your vote by juicing the economy with spending. It's causing the inflation. They're telling you there's no inflation here. There's no recession. When we see the data from their own departments saying there's a recession and inflation. These aren't your droids, Tony. The election will be in November. They can't wait for it to get over, and they're hoping you don't pay attention until December
0: yeah but but people are paying attention because their their lives are paying attention um is there anything that you are seeing about uh how this winter is going to play out for people in the Midwest and in in the north uh with with heating oil this has been a, a very large consideration and question regarding what supply chain and what energy issues are going to do not so much for what you put uh in in your car at the pump but rather how you heat your home uh, it, is is there a concern that you're seeing that that market is going to go high and ever
3: higher? The answer is yes, Tony. What we it's kind of confusing for people to understand, but it's called a crack, and I don't mean drugs, but it's how you take a barrel of oil and chop it up into heating oil or jet fuel or gasoline, and that decision is going to be very critical in the next few weeks because how will the oil companies divide up that barrel of oil and they're going to have to decide because there's demand out there but the supply is shrinking and if they decide not to produce heating oil and instead to produce gasoline or something else then you'll see it somewhere you're going to see an increase tony somewhere we don't know where yet
0: yeah well that's that that is just that is just downright frightening. If you're going to tell me, uh, you know, it's going to happen, but uh, we're not sure where, we're not sure how. And and you were the one who told me, as I'm watching this hurricane move move through Florida, uh, Hurricane Ian. And I texted you. I'm, I'm going to share a text conversation that I had with you. I said, "Is this the moment that I should be purchasing Home Depot and Lowe's?" And Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis, says, Tony, go take a look at the damn stock. They already figured that in a week ago when you saw that price jump up when they heard a hurricane was heading. You're already too late to the party. What is the feel on the market of used cars? There's been an argument that the bubble is going to burst because the interest rates have now reached a high that even the prices the, the prices are too high with the interest rate. It has to come down in order to make it affordable. But then you take a look at what's gone on in Florida, the amount of flood cars that are there, and you assume that the used car market is going to shift itself south in order to fill that demand. Is the used car market uh, in, in a place... In, that is looking for a burst, or is it going to remain high because of what has happened with Hurricane Ian?
3: Well, you know what? Both of those points are true, Tony. Both of those points are true. You've got competing forces. Interest rates are going to drive down the price of used cars. The hurricane is going to drive up the price of used cars. Which one's going to win? I don't know, but I can tell you this. I know a dealer. I spoke to a dealer just a couple weeks ago, and he said he's he's printing money on used cars.
0: Well, that, that doesn't help those of us who may want to buy, buy one more, but I'm not getting in the used car business. It's like trying to figure out the watch business. I can't figure this out. To save my life, I can't figure this out. So the, so the argument is that uh, it's a push, and people still need the car, and they're able to mark them up X number of thousands of dollars, and used car dealers are doing very, very well right now.
3: That is Correct. And they're 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 printing money, Tony, and they're loving it, but it's gonna the, sometimes it's gonna run out because eventually the recession will hit the used car market, eventually the high interest rates will hit that market and then it will dry up. but it's still a battle.
0: Is there a price uh, at, that you've seen uh, at which the used car market it changes on gas prices, meaning gas prices hit
3: X and therefore people stop buying trucks or SUVs? You know that's a good question, Tony. It's not. It's not the gas price. It's the interest rate. Because remember, people may buy a car and park it in their parking lot. The key is, can they afford to buy the car because of interest rates? That's, I think, the more relevant point here. And as those rates continue to rise, that's going to, the interest rates will win the battle, and the demand will lose the battle, and people will stop buying cars.
0: Doctor Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. Uh, There he goes. the market right now has the Dow down over five hundred. I always find it interesting when he talks about you know that they're 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 drug addicts and they they they, they aren't connected uh, to to reality. I think that you know, as I discuss, sometimes the market's basics of what's going on it it reminds me of something that we talk about here often the the unbelievable uh, rift uh th- this this gulf between Wall Street and Midwest Main Street. Because Midwest, Wall Street can have this drop and all we feel it is maybe in a, in a 401k. I should, I should say maybe. It, it feels awful. But the Midwest Main Street problems are still remarkably, remarkably true. On these gas prices, on this heating oil conversation, on the affording of things, Midwest Main Street is still saying pain is real and here. Regardless of what's going on on, on Wall Street. What I was... What I would hope is that this would allow the administration to make changes. But when you are ideological, not logical, you don't make changes. You, you, you blame the Russians for increasing oil prices. You, you blame, you know, OPEC for not producing enough, even though it's clear you're not producing anything. And what of Joe Biden talking about Armageddon? Noah Rothman joins us to break down what it is the president said in that Democratic fundraiser and why it's so problematic and what the future may be with Russia and Ukraine. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So Joe Biden, he's the president of the United States. Uh, It's actually true. You can actually check uh, the records. He wants you to know how close we are to Armageddon. Well, not you. A fundraiser that he was at for the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee talking about Vladimir Putin, the the Russian president, claiming it's a guy he knows fairly well, though. How well uh, do you know him? This seems very Trumpy. Oh, yeah. We're friends. It's very, very Trumpy in that uh, approach, and then states that he's not joking, meaning Putin's not joking when he talks about the use of tactical nuclear weapons or biological or chemical weapons, and then talks about we, the free and thinking people of the world, facing the prospect of his words, not mine, Armageddon. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's great to be with you guys, find everything, tonykatz.locals.com. Is this the talk for a world leader at a fundraiser? Isn't this the kind of talk that literally rattles the cages of every world leader, makes them wonder what's happening next, makes them question the effectiveness of American leadership to the extent that there is American leadership? After all, have we seen any of it? which leads to, well, what happened to the American policy of deterrence and have we deterred anything at all? Noah Rothman joins us right now of Commentary Magazine, Commentary.org. You also see him there writing at NBC and appearing on MSNBC. Uh, It it, it is odd to me, Noah, to see the president of the United States in these private settings be so nearly cavalier about this idea of oh yeah it, it it could be Armageddon the exact quote is we have not faced the prospect of Armageddon since Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis so first things first is this hyperbole or do you do you be, do you believe based on your analysis this is factual and what's your take of him having this conversation in this fundraising setting
1: I so I've been saying on the commentary podcast where I talk on a daily basis that I do think it's appropriate for even a uh, presidential-led national conversation at this point about what a crisis would look like if one were to materialize. We are not there yet, but it would be nice if we had a sober, rational national conversation about what deterrence is, what it can do, what it's designed to prevent, and what a crisis would look like so that the American mind we haven't had to think about these issues for the last 30 years. The American mind, if, you're, if you just consume popular culture, probably does go from the prospect of a nuclear detonation all the way down the flowchart to the very end, a day, to, a, a day after a scenario, a strategic nuclear exchange between superpowers. That's not how this would go. And it's appropriate for the president to tell the public that to calm frayed nerves. What did he do? The precise opposite. And where did he do it? in the worst possible venue imaginable, in a fundraiser full of Democrats, without any cameras, without recording equipment, where this stuff was just leaked. And so we just have this, essentially, what the president has done, talking so flippantly and, as you say, cavalierly about an extremely serious issue, and which should be broached in very sober terms. And it strikes me that because he was being so flippant, that we're probably not privy exactly in this conversation to what the presidential daily briefing says. To me, this is Scranton Joe being logareic, telling the room something that he knows will get a rise out of them because it's so unserious. We do need a serious conversation about this, but the president sort of um, in this meandering meandering way envisioning himself as Kennedy – in the situation, but it's which doesn't, that doesn't equate to the situation. Seems like an, a window into his psyche. But that, but,
0: but, I, uh, it, it's that, and not to divulge, you know, any private conversations we have or texts. When I texted this to you yesterday, hey, do you want to talk about this? You had, you had gone to that first. This, what if this is something that he says in the room, and and that's the part that I, I will tell you that has been seared into my head since since last night in in thinking about this conversation because if this is just him trying to speak to the room or if this is him a, a extemporaneous or if this is him in some like like weird tangent of thought this you ask yourself is this cogent or does this play into where's jackie meaning you don't know what it is you actually can believe and whether or not he is connected to the material itself. So now I ask for the analysis. Exactly how bad is the situation for Russia vis-a-vis Ukraine, the war that they started, and how serious do you think people are out there about Putin saying, I'm not giving this thing up, I'm taking the Donbass, I'm going to take these annexed regions, we're going to make them Russia, and if I've got to go tactical nuke, I'm going tactical nuke.
1: Well, the situation is bad um, in Ukraine. It's very bad for Russia, and it's very bad for geopolitical stability. Uh, if you were to draw a straight-line trajectory based on how the war has been going so far for Russia and can you know continue to play that out three, four, five months down the road, uh, you would see Ukrainian troops on the borders of or even in Crimea uh, taking parts of the Donbass that Russian forces have occupied since 2014. Uh, already, the Russian narrative is unnerving insofar as it was – a war of liberation, an offensive war to free Ukrainians from Nazis, whatever, drug addicts, whatever their logic was, it has since become an a, a expression of weakness. Russia had this big celebration for itself uh, a week ago, but it was conveying its own weakness. It's now under invasion, according to its own narrative. Western armed forces are invading what have become Russian territory. And that is unnerving because now this is a defensive war. In the Russian narrative, it's a defensive war, not an offensive war. And in Russian military doctrine, that, that opens up a whole lot of avenues that they can pursue. Um, so it's, we're right to be nervous about it. I don't know how Moscow de-escalates the situation in the absence of some game-changing event on the ground, like a nuclear standoff. I, I do think that we're going to get to a place where we'll have a very serious nuclear standoff at some point. And that's why we do need to talk about it. And there are ways to talk about it that aren't completely self-destructive. The president for some bizarre reason, decided to go off, I think, just to impress the audience. I really do, because this puts him in a bad position. It makes the situation less stable in the international environment. It does nobody any favors. It probably helps Russia a little bit, makes them a little more queasy. He he did no good in this conversation, which is why I can't imagine it was a thoughtful effort on the part of this White House
0: talking to Noah Rothman of commentary magazine commentary.org. You can follow him on Twitter, Noah C. Rothman, R-O-T-H-M-A-N. Um, Will you talk about how, how Russia might take this? You're a NATO nation. How are you taking this?
1: That's a good question. I mean, it depends on the NATO nation. Um, if you're Western Europe, you probably shrug it off. If you're in the Baltics or in Central Europe... It might be a little more unnerving. Uh, I mean, everybody's taking this very seriously on the ground. Poland is, is distributing potassium iodine tablets. Uh, Kiev officials are doing the same. Um, there's quite a lot of apprehension about what Moscow intends to do here, and it's entirely rational on the part of Vladimir Putin if he were to decide that he has no choice but to, let's say, detonate a small device in the upper atmosphere. Doesn't kill a single Ukrainian. Doesn't irradiate any territory just demonstration blast. How does the West respond in that way? And I think it's a very open question because you can see in the absence of any conversation laying the groundwork ahead of a crisis to cool tensions when they arise, you can see mass hysteria, people fleeing urban centers, shops being emptied out, markets collapsing, chaos with the promise of worse to come, How does the West respond? Do they respond, as General Petraeus says, with a massive conventional retaliatory strike on any asset outside Russia's borders and maybe a few inside of them? Do we pull that trigger? I don't know the answer to that question. It's entirely possible that the West could be cowed, stop supporting Kyiv, and urge them to come to the table, regardless of the territorial concessions they have to make. That's certainly what Moscow would be banking on. That's the the vision
0: we want to give China? The vision we want to give China is Biden goes off saying something dumb. Russia says, all right, let's now scare the bejeebus out of them. And then the West says, "Okay, you win.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We can't let that happen, which is why you have to say it now. All the consequences that would arise if we were to say, "Okay, nuclear blackmail works would mean we get a lot more nuclear blackmail and even perhaps more nuclear detonation. That's what we have to avoid. And we have to have that conversation now in a very sober and serious way, which is exactly what the president did not do.
0: So now let's get to some definitions. By the way, you, you brought up potassium uh, uh, iodide. That is something you would take uh, to uh, reduce effects of radioactive material from being absorbed uh, by the thyroid, just in case you're wondering what Noah was talking about. And <laughs> I, I, I mean, Daca. you can't just drop those kinds of things,
1: man. We got definitions. Words have meaning. Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. Which, they're which, available which, on Amazon at $20 a bottle. Get them while they're hot. Oh, good Lord.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna get emails like you wouldn't believe
1: uh, so seri- serious... we should say for the benefit of your audience I think this is less likely than likely right this is there is more downside than upside it is it is a game changing act of desperation, and we're not there yet so but take the, a the... Sigh of, of relief it's just possible, and we need to talk about possibility and it is
0: possible, but one of the conversations has been is that none of this would have happened if deterrence had worked. So define, if you would, deterrence. And where do you think, based on your analysis, was the key failure point in that strategy, which has been U.S. policy for a good long time?
1: Let's, let's not talk about Russia in the context. Let's talk about Iran. Um, in 2019, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said explicitly in these words, that in the Middle East, deterrence had broken down. Um, and that meant that Iran was doing quite a lot of provocative things. It was attacking U.S. positions in Iraq. It was executing massive drone strikes on Saudi oil refineries. It was attacking and seizing ships in the, in the, um, in the Persian Gulf. These were, that's what happens when deterrence breaks down. He was undeterred. So how do you restore deterrence? You have to reestablish an equilibrium in the region that uh, creates a a threshold of pain, at which point you can't absorb it anymore. And that's what we did. We executed a very effective strike on Soleimani, head of the IRGC. And how did Iran respond? Iran responded demonstratively. It responded in a face-saving way, loosed a bunch of missiles from Iranian territory into Iraq, which was new. They hadn't done that before, but they didn't really hit a lot. There was some evidence that we had forewarning, and there was no follow-on. Deterrence had been restored. That's how you restore deterrence. And this, So that's, that's deterrence in a nutshell. It's, it's creating uh, consequences for actions that cannot be absorbed, um, at least advertising them and broadcasting them now. So back to Russia. I don't think it's wise for us to take off the table a full-scale strategic nuclear exchange against silos against cities all that armageddon talk i don't think we can do that without you know curtailing our ability to respond in a forceful way a disproportionate way leave that on the table nevertheless that's not how we would respond and everybody who studied nuclear theory and nuclear deterrence theory knows it except the people who talk about this sort of stuff at the bar t- at the bar stool they talk about it in terms that Joe Biden talked about it, that there's no way for you to detonate a nuclear weapon without there being a full-scale world-ending exchange. That is just not true, and it's the sort of thing that only makes people more anxious. It does nothing to restore deterrence. It probably makes deterrence harder to, to be restored. Um, it's, one of the, it's, it's, just a, it's a callous and, as you, say, uh, as you say, cavalier way to talk about these issues for somebody who doesn't really know a whole lot about them, and you expect more of the President of the United States. He shouldn't have done this in this venue at all, but if he was gonna do it, he should have been talking about this in a sober and rational way that gives you some confidence that the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces knows what he's doing.
0: I've got a couple minutes. Let me now go to the other side of this war, which is Ukraine, where you have President Zelensky of Ukraine saying, NATO should be engaged in preemptive strikes to stop Vladimir Putin from engaging any level of nuclear attack. That's escalation. Isn't it?
1: Well, if we did it, but,
0: but the state isn't the statement an escalating statement?
1: Not not the guy who's under invasion. Look, from Ukraine's perspective, the the world has already ended. Their children are being shipped off to Russia and reeducated. Their 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 family members are being taken to torture chambers and having their fingernails ripped out uh, and raped. Ten thousand people have already died. I don't begrudge anybody in Ukraine saying, listen. Do what you can to Russia at this stage. I'd probably be saying the same, given their circumstances. It's incumbent on us to say, you're crazy. That's not going to happen, because it's crazy. It's not going to happen. The worst thing we could do at this particular move, moment is make any sudden moves. Uh, we're doing things very deliberately. When we escalate, we escalate slowly, and we escalate deliberately. We communicate all along the lines of communication to our counterparts in Russia, and there are open there are open lines between us where we convey what we're doing and what the consequences of what they, sh- they want to do will be. Uh, as long as that's open, I have a fair amount of confidence that that's, that's fine. I don't begrudge Vladimir, Vladimir Zelensky saying crazy things given his situation, which is apocalyptic from his position. That doesn't mean we have to listen to him.
0: That is Noah Rothman of a commentary magazine commentary.org is where you find his writings, where you find uh, his, his podcast. You should subscribe. It's, it's worth it. Noah C. Rothman uh, there. Noah C. Rothman on uh, Twitter uh, as well. Always a pleasure, my friend. We've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. <laughs> This weekend, you've got options and opportunities uh, galore, and uh, you can smoke a cigar with me. Uh, I I wouldn't mind. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. There are actually a lot of really cool things going on. I think, is it the Indy 11's final home game? I can't make it. And it kills me. You guys know I love the Indy 11. Oh, so, so good. So much fun. It's just this... This year has been so crazy busy. I have made it to, I think, two games. Very, very, very frustrating stuff. I've only made it uh, to to two games. And I think their last game of the season is, is, yeah, it's tomorrow is on Saturday there at, at Mike Carroll Stadium at, at IUpy so you can go to that in in, in the evening uh, indie11.com uh, they're they're not a sponsor I'm just a crazy stupid fan that's that's all there is is to it uh, I uh in the afternoon uh will be at final third cigar in Ingalls so that is uh east of Fortville uh very very cool cigar lounge uh there and so a group called all Saints cigars which I really Really, 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 really like. Uh, they're going to be out there doing an an event at Final Third, so we're bringing all of Eat, Drink, Smoke. You guys know I do a cigar and bourbon show called Eat, Drink, Smoke, right? Yeah, of course, of course you do, of course you do. Don't be silly. Uh, and so uh, we're going to be out there myself and Fingers Malloy, uh, who uh, co-hosts the show uh, with me. We're going to smoke cigars. And uh, then uh, we're going to, uh, uh, we'll have our book for sale, we'll sign uh, the books, you can do that, uh, and we're just going to hang out, we're going to talk to the guys uh, at, at All Saints, allsaintscigars.com. Um, just some beautiful stuff, uh, Nicaraguan, uh, usually in, in their binder and filler, but a couple of different great rappers, including, they've, they've got this um, St. Francis uh, that has an Ecuadorian Oscuro, so it's it's steep. It's rich. Oh, it's lovely. It's going to be a little chilly. It's going to be the right cigar. It's going to be the right cigar. I mean, the other ones are solid. Uh, the, the the Dedicacion uh, is a San Andreas Mexican, which is a, a super popular cigar wrapper uh, as as of, of late in, in terms of a, a level of sweetness, and, and people love it. Uh, so check that out. We're going to be there. It's going to be a good time. F- uh, Finalthirdcigar.com. That's singular. Finalthirdcigar.com. We're going to be out there on Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. You should come check. check. Check it out, this is Tony Katz Today.